Thank you for tuning in with us tonight. If you'll have your Bibles at home, if you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. What I want to speak on tonight is it's kind of different. Um, I haven't done it before, um, but I, I enjoyed, if you tuned in Sunday night, I believe it was, Pastor preached a message called Watch and Pray out of Matthew, I believe, 26. And so it touched my heart and it really spoke to me, and I got some good stuff while he was preaching. And so I'd like to actually kind of tailor off that, uh, kind of just meditate upon that subject um, even more tonight. So we'll start here in Philippians and we'll eventually end there in Matthew again, but it really spoke to my heart, and I'm just encouraged by that. It's been kind of neat to be able to kind of um, kind of bounce off the preaching of each other. I praise God for that. Um, it's definitely uh, spoken to my heart, blessed my heart, and I hope it will speak to you as well. So Philippians chapter 2, we'll actually start in chapter 1, verse 27, and I'll just pray really quick and then we'll get right into it. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have, Lord, just to be saved and have your word as Pastor spoke before. Uh, we do praise you for it, and we definitely uh, don't want to ever take for granted the liberties that you've given to us prior to this. We definitely appreciate things a lot more now, God, going through this. It's sad that it takes something like that, Lord, but we do pray that we would never be the same. We pray that you bless our hearts tonight. Please speak through us, and please help us to honor you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And I know that's definitely... Our heartbeat now in regards to the churches, as other pastors as well, thinking of their, their flock, their, their body of Christ, specifically being separated from them, but still praying that they would stand fast with one spirit and one mind. And I can tell you this, that by just the, the media presence that we felt from our church, I can say that we have done that, and I praise God for that. But we would still pray um, that we would, through this time, come together and still be striving for the faith of the gospel. As Pastor mentioned, the coming of the Lord could be any time, and we pray that he find us watching. We pray that he find us laboring for him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was thinking a lot about other churches through this time and thinking of what, what a terrible thing it would be as a preacher if they had not prepared their, their flock for times like this. If they had only ever given them messages of comfort, messages of joy, kind of like a fluffy message, how terrible it would be as their people now separated from the buildings, from the association of other believers and the pastor would not know what to do with themselves. It's a very convicting thing. And I think of how important it is, definitely one thing that's been exemplified in my heart lately, how important the preaching of the word of God is. Every time I get up here and I think to myself, what am in the, in the world am I going to say? How am I going to help other people when I'm trying myself just to keep it together? I feel so weak. I feel so frail sometimes. I feel so scared even myself as, as I said before, anxiety creeps in and, and I think of the unforeseen future and I feel so weak and yet I have to give a message of hope to other people. But then I remember that it's the word of God that we preach. It's the word of God that we proclaim and it's above me. It's, it's above us as humans. Don't ever look at preachers as if they're higher than anything else. Obviously, there's an office that that Christ has instituted, there is that authority there. But we are yet human beings proclaiming a message of hope, but it's a message that we need as well. I think of Jeremiah, as in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, when God commissioned him to speak to the, the nation of Judah, right, that southern part of, of the nation of Israel at the time. And when God told him that he'd go preach, he said, Ah, Lord God, 
I cannot but speak. I am a child. And that's that's the kind of reverence we need in the churches across America as preachers. We get behind their pulpits and preach that message as if it's the word of God. It's something that is above us, something that we feel inadequate to even proclaim. But there's such power there. I pray that other preachers would hear this message and think of it in the same kind of way. Preaching the word of God. There was another preacher who made this statement. He said, if a man thinks lightly of the word of God, he can preach easily. To think of these pastors that can get up and just nonchalantly have a conversation with people as they sit at a desk drinking Starbucks coffee as if it's nothing that they're proclaiming. In times like this, people don't need that kind of message. They need something that's going to get them through and something that's going to help them to strive for the faith of the gospel. And oh, how we need that kind of message today. I, I feel so weak, so inadequate during these times, but the word of God gives us such Comfort, just as David said, he said, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my life. In Psalms chapter 42, he said, As my as the heart paineth for the water brook, so my soul paineth after thee. He said, My soul thirsteth for God, the living God. I love how David put that in there. The living God. Let me tell you what, that little Buddha that you give fruit to ain't helping you during these times. There's that you can't go to a preach now because he's quarantined. He's a man just like you. They can't help you out. I'm not praying to Muhammad. I'm not praying to Mary. But I thank God that I know a living God that can help me during times like these because that's what I need. I need that. I need a living God. My soul thirsteth for God. Man, you want to put your hope in the things of this world? Look how look how easy it can be taken from you. Just as just as much as it's given. I think of in the Psalms when David said, "Why boasteth thyself in mischief, O mighty man?" The goodness of God endureth continually. It's something that can't be taken away from you. I think of our dear brother, Kenny Baldwin, who actually contracted the coronavirus. He's a pastor out of Virginia, and he travels a lot. He speaks a lot at youth conferences, and he did a FaceTime live video from the hospital bed, separated from his family, separated from his wife, separated from his church. And you know what he said? He said, I thank God that my surely my goodness and my mercy doesn't expire. It never expires. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that I'm not following a religion. I'm not following this, this air in the sky. I'm following a person. It's personified. Christ personified. God in the flesh. And that's who we get to know. Turn with me, if you will. Hold your place in Philippians, but go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 tonight. And we'll start reading in verse 35. This is what Paul said. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Think about this, especially during a time like this. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sore. He said, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, not through success, not through life, not through health, but through him that loved us. He said, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God that that's who I have a relationship with. A God who will never stop loving me. A God who will never leave me nor forsake me. And I would encourage you tonight, if you don't know that God, taste and see that the Lord is good. Praise the Lord. Go back with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 4 tonight. Philippians chapter 2 verse 4. It says, Look not every man on his own things. But every man also on the things of others. This is kind of off topic, but if you think about nowadays, like Pastor said before, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. People will stab you in the back if it means the health of them and the destruction of you. They don't care. 
And it's just a good reminder during times like these not to think on ourselves, our own welfare, our own safety, but be mindful of others to pray for them, to help them during times of need, as Paul commanded us. Then in verse 5, here's going to be the primary text for tonight, but it says, let, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to give a, that's not the message, but let me tell you, we could end right there. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. A lot of people are looking for deep theology, but a lot of times we're beguiled as Eve was from the simplicity that's in Christ. Paul said, it's a command. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You say, how in the world do we know what Jesus thought? Well, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul said, who shall... Who who hath known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we know the mind of Christ. We have it through his word as pastor spoke tonight. We know specifically what his mindset is and how he would have us to live. You remember in Ephesians, as Paul rebuked the Ephesians, he said, But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have been taught by him and heard him as the truth is in Jesus. We know his mindset and we're to have that. I think of how many church problems could be avoided if we would have drawn from the mind of Christ. How many, how many discords, how many disputes, how many people wouldn't have left, how many people wouldn't have got mad if they would have just embodied the mind of Christ? Let me ask you this. When you post on social media, does it come from the mind of Christ? When you speak to your family at home, are you drawing from the mind of Christ? When you go into your workplace, are you living from the mind of Christ? Paul says, let this mind be in you. Your mind is an enemy against God, as Romans tells us. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. My verse to this whole time period has been Philippians 4, 6, where God says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And it says, the peace of God, which passes all understandings, shall keep your heart in mind through Christ Jesus. We need the mind of Christ during these times. Not our mind. So many things can happen. It can come on us like a flash, all these problems, all the unforeseen future. But we are to embody the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you. It says here, it says in verse Uh, Five, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but listen to this, but made himself of no reputation. Let me tell you, no one cares about the big names right now. No one cares about the, the, the large crowds or the big churches or any of that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. All that matters is what the churches, what the men of God and the women of God are doing for Jesus Christ. Just as Christ made himself of no reputation, right? No reputation. And it says he took upon him the form of a servant, a servant. I pray that God would have that that kind of mind in me, during, especially during these times, not hiding away by myself, but still having the mentality to serve others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came to be a servant, a servant, a servant. And it says here, it says, and was made in the likeness of men. In verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Think about that. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, humbled himself and became obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient. You think of what he said. He said, I came not to do my will, but the will of him that sent me. Do you understand that our Lord Jesus had his own will, but he said, I'm going to put my will aside to do the will of God the Father. He, he submitted to the will of God. The Lord Jesus, his own son, did that. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. You know what Pastor said the other night really resonated? He said, has my life been nothing more than the fulfillment of my own pleasure? When I stand before God, have I done nothing but just entice myself 
give myself pleasures, go on vacation, live to the satisfaction of my flesh, or have I actually submitted myself with my life to the will of God? We must think those things nowadays. Let this mind be in you to perform the will of God. Jesus Christ told his disciples, he said, I have meat that you know not of. And that was the will of God. It says he became obedient unto death. Unto death. Now the first death I want you to look at, it's a physical death. He became obedient unto the physical death. If you'll hold your place in Philippians and go with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. In verse 12. Romans chapter 5 in verse 12. It says, for if when we were, or verse 12, excuse me, I was reading verse 10. It says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. How do you like that number? What if they put, what if they put that number on the media? Everybody has sinned everybody's going to die, and everybody's going to go to hell without Christ. That's a stat for you right there, right? So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. You go down to verse 17. For if by one man's offense, that was Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Jesus had to taste death, as Hebrews tells us. He was made a little lower than the angels so that he, by the grace of God, could taste death, physical death, for every man. The Bible says without, without the shedding of blood, there is no remissions of sins. The Bible tells us that he was delivered for our offenses and he was raised for our justification. It's appointed unto man once to die, so Christ had to taste of this physical death. You think of what Abraham did as God commanded him to offer his own son for a sacrifice. His own son for a sacrifice. Listen, if the world were to tell you, if you knew that sacrificing your own child could remove this virus from every person in the world, would you do it? Would you give up your own child for the sake of people that would spit in your face, that would curse you, that would kill you? Would you sacrifice your own being for the salvation of the world? But that's what God did through Jesus Christ as he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul was taken back by this. He said, what shall we say then? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Paul was beside himself because of this. He could not believe this, and it changed him. What shall we say then? Now, but he doesn't stop there. In verse 8, it says, of Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. There's the physical death, but listen to what it says here. It says, even, even, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. Now think about who wrote those words. It was Paul. Paul used to be a persecutor of Christians. This is so amazing. Do you think of Paul after he'd been on the road to Damascus? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Can you imagine that he, as he was blind for three days, as he was immobilized for three days, as he had known the whole entire Old Testament, he knew exactly what all the prophecies, all the things that were supposed to come to pass. Can you imagine as he sat there in thought, he couldn't go anywhere, and he goes, we didn't just kill our Messiah. It would be one thing if they would have just killed him. It would have been one thing if Christ was to die. He goes, we crucified our Messiah. 
Can you imagine as the pangs of conscience just came over Paul with the realization that they didn't just kill the one who was supposed to come and save them, but they put him on a cross. They plucked out his beard. They spat in his face. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. He goes, we didn't just kill him. We crucified him. So when Paul says this, he goes, Christ didn't just come to die. He came to suffer a death that was contrary, that was different than the world had ever seen. And he says, even the death of the cross. Paul had probably performed multiple crucifixions. He had probably assisted them. And can you imagine his mindset as he thought of his Lord and Savior and what they had done to him? Now, let me tell you this. Every Christian is going to have to suffer a physical death, right? Because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. But not every Christian is going to live in conformity with what Christ did. It's a different kind of death, right? Philippians 3, this same, this same epistle in Philippians 3, Paul says this, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable not to his life, but to his death, but to his death. The problem with these preachers nowadays is we're teaching people how to live like Christ, but we're not teaching people how to die like Christ. Paul had, when Paul was beaten, when Paul was naked, when he was afraid, when he was persecuted, he didn't think it was contrary to Christianity. He was embracing Christianity. He said, I bear about in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul said, I die daily. And I'm not trying to preach a message of doom to you tonight, but what does Paul tell us? He says, let this mind, this mind be in you. And when we go through life, not even in the, in the face of this virus, but just as an everyday Christian, we are to have this mindset, not, not, not just thinking about physical death, but literally sacrificing our life for Christ. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. When you come to get saved, you're not just saying a prayer and leaving the same, right? You are crucified with Christ. A.W. Tozer said, I don't know a lot about crucifixions, but one thing I know, if you saw a man leaving town carrying a cross, he wasn't coming back. When Paul was crucified with Christ, he left him there. Paul said that, that nevertheless, not I live, I don't live my life, but he says Christ lives in me. Can you, do you have that same testimony then? Did you, when you got saved, did you leave yourself? Did you die with Christ and he lives through you? Or are you still holding on to that wicked, depraved, mortal flesh? Paul said, even the death of the cross. I was thinking as pastor was preaching, this is kind of where I got into the other subject. If you go with me to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, as every Christian is commanded, let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. This is the passage where Christ is praying for Peter. In verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. In verse 33, this is what really hit home, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. This is what Peter says to him. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee. Lord, I am ready to go with thee. You know, during times like this, I'm not going to lie to you. As a Christian, you think about what's going to happen if I get sick? What's going to happen if I come to that point where I have to die? Am I going to die honoring Christ? Am I going to go out telling others about Jesus and praising God? Or am I not going to be ready? Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you. And we really have to reflect on this in our life and say, are we really ready? As Paul did, let this mind be in you. Are we ready to give our lives for Christ? Are we, are we ready to die daily to self? 
Are we ready through the midst of all this persecution? Do we have the resilience and spirituality to honor God through this suffering? Go with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, so we'll start reading in verse 31. Again, I was just so blessed when Pastor was going through this passage. I was like, man, we just got to dwell on it a little bit more. It's too good. It's just so awesome. And it really spoke to my heart in verse 31. It said, or in verse 30, it says, and when they had sung in him, don't you wish you were there that night? Don't you wish you could have heard the disciples in Jesus Christ sing a hymn together? It says, they went out and into the Mount of Olives. In verse 31, then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Do you imagine if Christ came and he said that to us? Listen, everybody, through this virus, you're all going to betray me. You're all going to be offended at me this night or, or, or any night. And I always wonder, why did Jesus even tell him? He could have just let it happen. He could have just took him to the garden. They, they, you know, they could have took Jesus after Judas kissed him on the face. Why did he specifically tell the disciples what was going to happen? It was almost like he was trying to send them in us a different message. In verse 32, but after I am risen again, I will go before you in Galilee. Verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus gives a specific Rebuke to Peter in verse 34, he says, I say unto thee, right, thee specifically, Peter, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter comes back and he says, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise said all the disciples. Let me tell you this. In our movement especially, there's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of zeal. There's a lot of hard preaching. There's a lot of just, we're going to give everything to Christ. We'll never back down. We'll never give up. There's so much just, just, just noise and loudness. But let me tell you what, that does not guarantee that you will not deny Christ. That does not guarantee that you will never be offended at Christ. God says, wherefore, let the man that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The zeal is good, but it does not guarantee that you'll be ready. It does not guarantee that you'll have the spiritual preparation in order to follow Christ to that cross, as we're all commanded as Christians to do. You can imagine Peter in his zeal and in his anger, God, I will never deny thee. And it says in verse 35, it says, Likewise also said all the disciples. Likewise also said all the disciples. Now let me tell you one thing, one, one exhortation here. The disciples didn't realize the severity of the situation. This was the night that Christ was going to relinquish control of himself over to humanity to be crucified. And he specifically tells the disciples, tonight's the night when you guys are going to be offended at me and they're going to take me. The disciples didn't understand the severity of the situation. Let me tell you, as a Christian, you must always understand the severity of the situation. We need to be prepared always to sacrifice our lives for Jesus Christ because you never know when it's going to happen. You know what happened with this virus? A bunch of Christians said, oh no, i got to prepare myself. How sad that is that we weren't already in a spot, that we didn't already realize these things, and it took the tribulation, it took the fire to show the church that maybe we should rethink some things. Maybe we should get back to prayer. Maybe we should appreciate preaching more. And maybe we should have been grateful in the day when we could actually go out and knock on doors. They weren't prepared for the severity of the situation. In verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And saith unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Now hold your place in Matthew, and Pastor reference this, and it's really good. In John chapter 18, John chapter 18, verse 1. John 18, 1. This, tells, this gives you a little insight to this place. 
It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into which he entered in his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. Judas knew the place where Christ would be. When he was going to go kiss him, when he was going to go betray him, he knew the place for Jesus oft-times resorted thither with his disciples. He oft-times resorted thither with his disciples. Let me tell you what. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he didn't have a last meal. He didn't order a nice meal. He didn't go to a fancy place. He didn't go to a new place. He didn't have some kind of weird place to go. He went to a place that he was already familiar with. He went to a place that he had already been before. I believe during the whole three years of Christ's ministry, I believe that Gethsemane was always in his heart because he knew one day he would officially have to surrender his will then. And as Christians, man, we're so familiar with so many different things, denominations, dress, standards, preachers. We're so familiar with so many things, but we need to be familiar with Gethsemane. We need to be familiar with the place. In order to surrender our will, in order to let this mind be in you, we have to abide every day in this place. We have to prepare ourselves every day. Paul said, but God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul lived every day looking at Christ on the cross and looking at the world. You know what Paul was talking about there? When a man was crucified, it was not something that you wanted to see. A lot of times they hung there on the cross, mangled, unidentifiable. They would hang there till the next day. The birds would be picking at their flesh. There was nothing that you wanted to see there. And Paul said, in relation to the world, I live with my eyes on Christ. And when I look to the world, all I see is something mangled. All I see is something wicked. All I see is something disgusting. I have no desire for it. I have no longing for it. It's but dung to me. And Paul lived in this place. Christ lived in this place where he was prepared to give his will up to God. In verse 37, it says, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. I love this. You know why I love this? Because there's been a couple nights, man, where I've, where I've become pretty sorrowful. There's been a couple nights where I've gotten a lot of anxiety, where I felt really, really weak. And when I think of God and he seems so far away, Christ felt everything you're going through right now. He sweat drops of blood because he was anxious. He felt all the pangs, all the nervousness, all the things that the flesh would bring upon itself in a time like that. He felt everything. And in verse 39, and he went a little further and fell on his face. The Son of God, embodied in flesh, fell on his face. He took upon him the form of a servant. He took upon himself the weakness, the same weakness that we would experience through times like this, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Let me tell you what, the disciples were about to see a death that had never been witnessed by mankind. It was a different death, even the death of the cross. A death of an innocent man who deserved nothing, who, while we were yet sinners, died for us, had never been seen. But Peter and these disciples were about to hear a prayer that had never been spoken before. This was a new kind of prayer, right? They were Jews. They had prayed to God, right? The Jews to this day, they sit at the wailing wall and they wail and they wail and they wail and they beg for their Messiah to come. They know what it's like to beckon God. And they'd heard prayers before requesting strength to save life, but they had never heard a prayer requesting strength to lose one. And that's exactly what Christ was praying. God, give me strength to die for the sins of this world. And as Christians, we need to ask God for strength to not gain our life, 
through prosperity, through health, through any of these things. But we need to ask God's strength to lose our life, to expend our life, to deny ourselves, just like he did in Gethsemane. He fell on his face. And in verse 40, And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and said unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit, Christ said this, The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let me tell you what, it's easy to preach like this, but let me tell you, if, if a virus got a hold of me, if any kind of sickness got a hold of me, if, if, if the fear of man got a hold of me, my spirit would be strong, but let me tell you what, my flesh would be weak. My flesh would betray me. That's why it's so important to let this mind be in you and to prepare yourself for what is to come. I'll close with this statement. You think about Christ's death, right? It was a death of denial. It was a death of obedience. It was a death of rejection. It was a death of loneliness. He had none of his disciples with him. Everybody forsook him. He was, he was betrayed by his own friend with a kiss on the cheek. It was a different kind of death. But lastly, it was the only death of hope. Without that death, we would have no hope. We would all be all men most miserable had Christ not done what he, what he had done. I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in closing here. This was Paul's life. This was Paul's life. In verse 55 of chapter 15, he goes, Oh, death, listen to, listen to good old Paul. right? Good old, good old torn, beaten, scarred Paul. He said, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? He looked into that casket and he didn't fear. He didn't run to the store. He didn't try to preserve his physical life. He looked into the grave and he says, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The life of a Christian may be a life of suffering. It may be a life of denial. It may be a life full of pain during this time. But let me tell you what, it's nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us when we get to that place called heaven. And let me tell you what, I preach that with meekness. Again, preaching is hard because we speak things that we know we might not be able to live. But I pray that God would prepare us, right? That we would be a church out of this that doesn't come back and we give ourselves to the frail things of the world. But I pray that we would sacrifice our lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, God. Your word is above us. Lord, we preach, we're but humans. I'm a human, God. Your word is so high. I think of, I think of what, what Christ did, Lord, and, and I can't fathom. I even think of Paul. I even think of anybody in the Bible. I cannot fathom, Lord, that, to have the strength, to have the integrity, to have the spirituality, to, to be able to do that. But I pray, God, that you would give that to us. I pray that people would get saved. I pray that you speak to our hearts, Lord, and we thank you for all things. We thank you, God, that although death may bring fear to us, Lord, it doesn't have victory. We praise you in all things in Jesus' name.